this week on, on Facebook, one of my Facebook friends <clears throat> posted something that was, I, I suppose, just sort of a rhetorical type question. Apparently she'd observed something and it, it prompted her to post. I know many of you are like that, sort of an anonymous rant about this or that. But her post was this. She said, why would someone have a dog just to keep it tied up or in a 4 by 8 kennel in the backyard? And that just kind of struck me as funny because I thought, well, that, that makes sense. You know, she was apparently driving around and saw a, a dog or maybe has a neighbor that has a dog of some size. And, and all they do is keep it tied up in the backyard or it's in its 4 by 8 kennel. And, I, you know, I'm allergic to dogs, so we don't have a dog. But if we had a dog, I'd want it to run everywhere. I would just annoy people all over. You know, the dog would be all over the place. That's what dogs are meant to do, right? You don't cage up a dog and just sit right there and don't do anything. Dogs are, are fully alive when they're running around, you know, acting stupid. That's what dogs do. They, you know, they chase cars and all kinds of stupid things. And so <clears throat> that's what dogs are meant to do. They're not meant to be just tied up in the backyard, stay in your little cage and don't do anything. And, and her observation, really, on a more serious note, it, it made me think when I considered this morning's sermon, I wonder how many of us do that with Jesus. How many of us have said we've invited the King of the universe, the Savior of the world, into our lives, and we've said a prayer that said, Lord, I give you my life, and yet, Lord, I want you to stay tied up in the 4 by 8 kennel right over here in the backyard. Just stay there. I'm good with you being on my property. I'm glad that I sort of own you now. And if you would just stay right over there tied up or in the kennel till I need you. And then I'll call you out and we'll play a little bit. And then you go back tied up to the poster in the kennel. I wonder how many Christians operate with Jesus just like they would a dog that you tie up in the backyard. We're in a series called The Way of the Master. And it's all about the life of Christ. <clears throat> and we're starting, of course, this Christmas season talking about the birth of Jesus and the events around that. And we'll fast forward in a few weeks and we'll get to some of the events of His ministry and His life. And then around Easter, of course, we'll get to His death and His resurrection. And we'll see right after then some of the things that happened as the church was getting started. The best way to learn, I really believe, is not from reading books or from listening to, se to seminars or even listening to sermons. The best way to learn for most people is, is through something maybe like an apprenticeship, where you're walking around with somebody and they're really good at what they're doing and they sort of show you and then they let you do that and you practice and you learn and they're there to help you when you make a mistake and they'll, they'll kind of lead you. They're the master, you're the apprentice. And so the goal in this series is to learn from the true master of life, from Jesus himself. There are hundreds of sermons that could be preached on the life of Christ. I've selected a few. And, and this morning we'll look at one that hopefully will lead us again toward the goal that we would just all simply walk in the way of the master, to learn from Jesus himself. Today we're going to look at, at, at his earthly father, a man named Joseph. And Joseph, as far as we can tell, we don't have much about him in the scripture. He was a carpenter. Probably by the time that Jesus was arriving, was probably pretty good at his trade. And so he, he maybe he was a master carpenter, we're not sure, but he had certainly gone through an apprenticeship, maybe with his father or grandfather. We, we get that from the scripture that Joseph was a carpenter. We know that scripture describes him as a righteous man, somebody who loved God. He was from the family line of David. He lived in a, in a town called Nazareth. 
And it, and it seems that Joseph was already a godly man, loved the Lord, even before Jesus showed up on the scene. But what we're going to find in Joseph's life was that even for this guy who was religious, who, who was described as being righteous and a godly man, when Jesus came on the scene, everything changed. He, he, his righteousness, his religion was totally turned on its ear in a good way. And so that's what we'll look at this morning. We're going to see several different passages this morning that sort of highlight the life of Joseph. The first one we'll look at is in Matthew chapter 1. So if you've got your Bible handy, your handout, tablet, smartphone, however it is you want to get to the Scripture, look with me, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look this morning to start with at verses 18 to 25 of Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> Here's what it says. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. When Joseph got up from his sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and she named him Jesus. Now, as I said, we get very little from the Scripture about Joseph. We get this part, we get some, a little bit, uh, in the Christmas story. And then leading up to Luke chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, that's all we get about him. We see him in the life of Jesus until he's about, until Jesus is about 12 years old. And then Joseph, apparently sometime between Luke chapter 2 and when Jesus began his public ministry, Joseph apparently died because he's not mentioned anymore. And so in a very short period of time, what we see is this description of Joseph and his life completely being disrupted by Jesus. The way of the master certainly includes all kinds of disruption. If you think about what Joseph was planning, he was planning a typical and traditional Jewish wedding. And yet his wedding plans are completely disrupted. The engagement or betrothal period back then would have been a year, and it was a binding agreement. Once two families had come together and, and arranged the marriage, young people, just so you know, you didn't get to pick who you married back then. And maybe in some cases that might be better today if, you know, somebody else arranged that. You know, I don't know. But, but anyway, but you didn't get to pick who you married back then. The families would set it up based on what was beneficial for each family and so on. And, uh, and then once that was decided, the couple was engaged. And then for a year, that was a binding agreement. It was essentially as if they were already married, but they, they weren't living in the same home and they, they weren't sharing a bed. And so this year period was the time when the husband would go off and prepare his home and maybe build a new home and he would get everything ready. Now, just so you know, that kind of foreshadows what Jesus talked about in John chapter 14 when he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It was the, it was the groom going to prepare a place for the bride, the church. Jesus was, was, was telling us that's what he was going to do. And so Joseph, in typical Jewish fashion, would have been preparing this place. And he's probably thinking about all this time, what's it going to be like to be a husband and to provide for my wife and to eventually be a father. And, and he's got all these plans, and I'm sure he got excited. And then Jesus came into the picture. And everything's disrupted. Because Mary is now pregnant before she and Joseph have had any sexual relations whatsoever. Joseph can only assume that she's cheated on him. And she's been unfaithful. 
And so the wedding is, is, is off. Now, what do you do at that point? And I'm sorry, I mean, I'm not going to go through with this. This is not going to happen. And he stuck really, you can almost picture him trying to pick up the pieces, kind of stunned. What do I do next? And verse 19 told us that he's a righteous man. He's, he's a follower of the law, a lover of God, but now he's been disgraced. He's been disrespected. He's been cheated on. The penalty for adultery back then was death. He had every right to have Mary put to death because of what it was perceived, at least, that she has done. Her actions reflected poorly on him. He's, his honor is gone. And he's got to terminate the marriage, he thinks, but he's trying to figure out a way that he can do that and still love this woman that was going to be his wife and let her get by with something, even though he has the right to terminate her life. Imagine being in his shoes for just a second. I know it's hard because we don't live in a first century Jewish world. We don't arrange marriages like that here in America. We don't have this year-long engagement period. The husband doesn't go off and prepare the home in this traditional fashion like that. But just imagine if you can, what it would be like to, to be in his shoes. I mean, the life that you assumed you would have. Maybe you sat down at the beginning of this year and you wrote your five-year plan. And you assumed all these things would happen. I mean, the only thing you've ever known is, you know, this or that or whatever. And, and then all of it is completely disrupted. All of it's over. All of it's gone. There's no more wedding for him. There, there's no more marriage to the girl that he thought and his parents thought would be best for him. He's completely disrupted by the presence of Jesus in his life. What's interesting is that disruption came even before he knew that Jesus, the Son of God, was inside the womb of Mary. Now let me tell you, there's a chance this morning that you're here today because Jesus, maybe even unbeknownst to you, has been disrupting your soul. He, he, he's been causing some upheaval in your life and trying to get your attention. Maybe the things that you anticipated happening haven't panned out. Stuff isn't going according to plan like it should. And you're trying to figure out what to do next. Life isn't going to be the same as it was before, and you don't know what to do. And maybe you can relate with Joseph. He experienced all of that. And it was only later that he would figure out that Jesus was the one who was actually causing it all, and it became a good thing. But don't miss this morning the disruptions in your life that might be caused by Jesus trying to either meet you for the first time or lead you to a deeper relationship with Him, the upheaval in your life is not always a bad thing. The upheaval in your soul, the uneasiness, the lack of peace that you have may be the Lord trying to get your attention. Joseph's wedding plans were completely disrupted. And then, of course, not to say his early married life, after the angel appears to him and tells him, look, everything's cool, go on and marry her, that didn't solve all the problems. Like any good Jewish man, he would have understood that his responsibility as a man was to raise children and to carry on his family name, the national name. And he probably had some idea of how that was all going to play out and take place. I mean, they would get married. He'd spend time with her. They'd get to know one another better. They'd enjoy the first years or so of marriage. And then at some point, they would discover she's pregnant. They would get so excited. And maybe he'd have a son to carry on the family name, to hand off his carpentry business too. Probably had some idea of what normal early married life was going to be in his mind. Regardless of what exactly he thought it would be, it was obviously completely 
disrupted by Jesus. Instead of what he considered to be normal, now he's dealing with something way different. Mary's already pregnant. The son that he hoped for one day is already on the way, but it's not his son. He's going to be a father long before he anticipated being a father. And the son that he's going to be born to his wife is not technically his. The firstborn son in his family would be his adoptive son. And if that's not enough, this adoptive son would be the son of God, for crying out loud. What do you do with that? Your son is God. He likely expected to have that son at some point, but not in this fashion. He wanted to prepare his son, I'm sure, to hand things off to him. Jesus would be prepared, all right, as the angel said, to save the world from their sins. (laughs) How do you raise a son like that? So Joseph is going to marry a woman that everyone thought had committed adultery. He's going to adopt the son that he's carrying, that she's carrying rather, a son that the angel said would be God's son, a son that would be very, very different. That's not exactly what he expected early married life to be. And maybe you've experienced something similar, that some phase of your life, some stage of your life just went totally haywire, and this is not what I thought this was going to be like. Jesus had disrupted all of that. I'll be honest with you, disruption is what life with Jesus is meant to be like. His personal life was also disrupted. You look again at verses 24 and 25. When when Joseph got up from sleeping, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So far, his wedding plans, his early married life, all of that is totally different. But now Jesus is disrupting Joseph in the most personal of ways. After that year of betrothal, the... The couple would be married and then they would celebrate their union by coming together sexually on their wedding night. And that's not possible. The angel said, no, 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 no. you go ahead and marry her, but that's off the table. She's to be taken to his home, but the relationship would not enjoy that sexual union until after the birth of this son that wasn't his. His personal life was totally disrupted. It was vital that... This happened that Jesus be the son of the Holy Spirit and not the son of a man because Jesus was born with no sinful nature, the son of God. And if he were born with a sinful nature, then he would be a sinner like us and could not die as a sinless sacrifice for sinful people. What incredible discipline it must have taken for Joseph. What incredible strength he must have been given by the Holy Spirit. His purity and his self-control now are for a higher purpose. Young people, listen to me for a second. I don't want you to grow up in a church where you're told, just don't have sex until you're married. Just don't do that. Oh, don't do any of that stuff. And you don't understand why. You're just told, follow the rules. Don't do this. Don't do that. And so on. And you don't understand why is it that God has set it up that way. Joseph was told some sexual boundaries. And it was for the purpose of glorifying God, of demonstrating his love for Jesus. And that's what he did. Let me tell you what, following the rules, even in a sexual nature, will get you nothing if you don't love Jesus, if that's not your motivation for it. You're not scoring any points with God just by avoiding certain things. If you don't love Jesus, then none of the rest of it matters. Let me tell you, your self-control, your purity matters if you love Jesus, and then it's something that glorifies God. Then it's something that God will reward, I promise you that. 
I promise you all the stuff that you're told, all the stuff you want to to experience is all worth waiting for. If your life is wrapped up in Jesus Christ, then you'll find meaning in the purity. Then you'll find meaning in the self-control. Apart from that, it's meaningless and it's just rule following. And when you get out from under your parents, you'll do whatever you want to do. Love Jesus. Let him capture your heart and all the other stuff will matter. I promise you. For Joseph, that's exactly what he found. When his life became disrupted by Jesus, when he surrendered to Jesus, then you know what? Then his sexual purity mattered. And he was on board with it. All right. I see the purpose. Jesus disrupted everything about him. His career plans. I mean, you think about it. One of the things that gets lost is this early career and vocational plan from Joseph. I would imagine he just figured, you know what? I'm going to build my business I'm going to be a carpenter here in Nazareth. And guess what? For two years, he's on the run for people that, from people that want to kill him. Not exactly the time you're going to settle in and start your carpenter business. Post, you know, post your website and the whole deal. Not going to happen. His career plan is completely disrupted by Jesus. You know, I wonder, when's the last time that Jesus invaded your life and your heart so much that you stepped back from the career that you have right now and said, you know what? I'm not sure God wants me to change my career necessarily. But how is it that my vocational life can be done in such a way that brings honor and glory to Jesus, not just to make me money? His career plans are completely disrupted. His location, his security, as I just mentioned, he's on the run. In Luke chapter 2, you see there on your... On your handout, the verses, it'll tell us that he's running from different people. Angels appearing to him all the time. Go here because these people are trying to kill you. Now go over here because they're trying to seek you. Now come this way and you'll be safe. When Jesus came into his life, everything was disrupted. Joseph quickly learned that when Jesus is on the scene, his life was no longer his. It's wrapped up in his Savior. And all during that time, he had nobody with him but just Mary and Jesus. He didn't have his friends, he didn't have his family, he's just on the run. His location, his security disrupted. You get to Luke chapter 2 and verses 21 to 24 and 41 to 50, and they go to Jerusalem to have Jesus dedicated. And then they go later on and they, they go and Jesus, it says, escapes from where they are and they walk back for three days and they're not sure where he is. And they come back to the temple and what does Jesus say? Didn't you know I had to be where? In my father's house. Even their religion was disrupted because now they're dealing with the true Son of God and Jesus totally turns it on its ear. They were very devout Jewish people. They were very religious people. And yet then when Jesus showed up, all of that was changed. It wasn't for them anymore about just going through the motions. Now they're saying, wait a minute, you're in your father's house. And some folks are probably looking and saying, well, there's your father. His name is Joseph. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I wonder in your religious life, what does Jesus need to disrupt? For us as a church, what routines, what traditions, what going through the motions does Jesus need to disrupt? What if He showed up? I mean, honestly, what if Jesus showed up in your devotional life during the week? Would you recognize Him? If Jesus showed up here at church, would we recognize Him? Are we in tune with Him on a regular and daily basis? When we come together, do we truly seek to worship the Lord or just do what we do and get to the end of the service and then today so we can go eat a meal? How does He need to disrupt our religious life? Everything about Joseph was disrupted. 
And Jesus, in every way imaginable, came to interrupt and disrupt and cause some havoc in Joseph's life. And my question for us this morning is, what if that's what Jesus really intends to do? What if this is not an anomaly? What if Joseph is the norm? What if when Jesus shows up, that's what life is supposed to be like, completely disrupted? What if Jesus isn't content to dance on the periphery of our lives? What if his intention is to fully invade your life, to take it over, to place it under his control? What if he has no desire to stay tied up in the backyard or in the kennel? kennel? What if the way of the master isn't the quiet walk in the park that we want it to be? What if he has no desire to be our little pet? To sit over in the corner, let us pet him from time to time, bring our newspaper and our slippers and just wait on us. What if that's not what Jesus wants to do? What if he's like how C.S. Lewis described Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Listen to this. Who is Aslan? Susan asked. Aslan said, Mr. Beaver, why don't you know? He's the king. He's the lord of the whole wood. He's in Narnia at this moment. He'll settle the white queen all right. It is he, not you, that will save Mr. Tumnus. She won't turn him into stone too, said Edmund. Love you, Lord love you, son of Adam. What a simple thing to say, answered Mr. Beaver with a great laugh. Turn him into stone. If she can stand on her two feet and look him in the face, it'll be the most she can do and more than I expect of her. No, no, he'll put all to rights, as it says in an old rhyme in these parts. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. When he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. You'll understand when you see him. But shall we see him? asked Susan. Why, daughter of Eve, that's what I brought you here for. I'm to lead you where you shall meet him, said Mr. Beaver. Is is he a man? asked Lucy. Aslan a man, said Mr. Beaver, sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who's the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, make no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's a king, I tell you. I really believe that the reason that we don't see more growth in our lives and in our church, spiritually, numerically, whatever it may be, the reason that we have less power than is available to us through the Holy Spirit, the reason we're so afraid of what's happening in the world right now, the reason is that we want Jesus to be tame. We want Him to be safe. We want Him to be under our control. We want Him to stay in His cage. We want Him to do all the things that He never came to do primarily, and that's just make our lives a little better, make us a little more comfortable, make it a little easier on us than we had it before. I mean, listen to what we tell our young people when we try to convince them to give their lives to Jesus. We tell them some truths, but they're sort of half-truths. We tell them they won't have the same problems as before. We tell them that everything will be completely different, that Jesus will protect them, that life won't hurt anymore, that they'll have some warm feelings inside. But what if we looked them in the eye and we told them the whole truth and we let them deal with the full weight of the truth of Jesus? 
The whole truth is that we have darkened, rebellious hearts full of sin, and we're born that way. It's not about what we do, but about who we are, and that's what needs to change. Not what we do, but who we are. And what if we told them we can't change who we are, only the one who created us can do that? So far from giving you a warm feeling or handling a few problems for you, the mission of Jesus in your life, young people, is to radically change who you are from sinner to saint. And after he does that, to begin to radically change your behavior, what you do, so that then he can demonstrate his power, the power of his Holy Spirit, to anybody and everybody you come into contact with. Young people, there's nothing tame or safe about what Jesus wants to do in your life. He wants to completely take it over, to be let out of the cage, to completely dominate every aspect of your life. And in return, he offers what you will never get or earn on your own, freedom from the power and the penalty of sin, unconditional love based only on his character, not on yours and what you do, peace between you and God, strength and peace that you'll never even understand, much less be able to explain. He promises His Holy Spirit to live in you, to empower you for your life as it is on earth, and to encourage you with joy that life on earth can't take away from you. In order to experience that, you've got to let the lion loose. You've got to let the dog out of the kennel. Joseph was completely disrupted by Jesus. Everything changed. It wasn't tame or safe, but it was good. And after all that, his acts of righteousness finally had some meaning beyond just following the rules. His obedience to the Word of God would never again be mundane or just going through the motions once he saw that Jesus was turned loose. The command to remain sexually pure until after Jesus was born wasn't viewed as a punishment, but as a way to demonstrate the power of God and to share in the glory of God. The inconveniences along the way could be now seen as tests of faith, as ways to strengthen his faith, rather than something to be avoided. Life with Jesus wasn't meant to be tame or to be safe, because he isn't tame or safe. But it was always meant to be good because he is good. The way of the Master changes everything. You see that in the life of Joseph. Because Jesus wants to disrupt every area of your life. Make no mistake, that's exactly, I believe, what He intends to do. When He came to earth, that's what He did. He turned it all on its ear. Jesus fully intends to disrupt every area of your life. That word there, disrupt, let me read you the definition. Just listen to the words. Interrupt the flow or continuity of a meeting or speech. Bring disorder to. Separate forcibly. Shatter. Upset. Disorganize. Disturb. Unsettle. Shake up. Agitate. Break into. Interfere with. Butt in on. Intrude on. Be unruly. Not easily controlled or disciplined. Unmanageable. Unregulated. Insubordinate. That's what Jesus wants to be in your life. He wants to be unruly in your life. Unruly, not ruled by you or by me or by anything this world says, ruled only by His Father. He wants to be unmanageable in your life. We love manageable Christianity. Oh, we love it. He wants to be unmanageable. He wants to be absolutely out of control, freedom to break into your life at any point in any time. He wants to disrupt it all. And let me tell you this, you'd be a fool not to let Him. I would be an absolute fool not to let him do that. 
Because he's not tame and he's not safe, but he's good. And guess what? I'm not tame and I'm not safe and I'm not good on my own. I want to hitch my wagon to the one who isn't tame and isn't safe, but is good. I'd be a fool not to let Jesus disrupt every part of my life, just like he did with Joseph, to bring into my life only what he can. This morning, my prayer for you, my, my plea, is that before you leave here, that you would make a decision whether you need to get on your knees before God, you need to come down here and pray, you need to tell somebody else, I don't care how it is, but my prayer and my plea is that you this morning would make a decision, decision to let Jesus be unmanageable and absolutely out of control in your life. Let Him overrun it completely. Turn Him loose. Let the dog out of His cage. Turn loose the lion. He's not tame, he's not safe, but he's good, and you can trust him. And that's the kind of God I want to serve. That's the kind of Savior I want. The one who says, I want to take over your life, and let me tell you, it's going to be good. It may not always be what I think, but it's going to be good. This morning, my prayer and my plea is that you would turn him loose. Let him disrupt you. And simply get on board with what he's doing. Let's pray together.